0: From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. It's the dog days of summer and the dogs of Metro's fleet are barking. Coming up, we'll tour Safe Track into the tunnels and out on the rails between East Falls Church and Boston. Plus, surge number two is long over. Repairs were made, but problems continue. We'll find out why. But first, the scourge of the hot car as we spritz and sweat our way aboard episode nine of the, Metro-pocalypse. the
1: DC Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region.
2: Customers should expect extended delays in crowded conditions on trains and
0: platforms. My body is hugging this chain link fence along 66. Hello, Metro Apocalypse Hot Car Hotline.
3: <laughs> Do you have answers for me? I might. I'm Ethan Handelman. I ride the Red Line from Silver Spring uh, at the Forest Glen stop all the way into Farragut North and then back every day. And I see and experience hot cars way too much. Um, I'll often hop on a car and, you know, sometimes you you can smell it as you're stepping on. Smell it? Um, Well, sure, right? If you put enough riders in a hot car, it smells like a locker room.
0: Oh, you're smelling armpits is what you're saying.
3: Uh, not directly, but indirectly, yeah. Um it's it's tough. And you know, usually uh when you step on you'll wonder at first why there aren't more people on this particular car of the train and then you realize. Um but usually I just tough it out and try and close my eyes and think a winner.
0: All right, so we've all been there before. Ethan's story turns out to be a pretty common one. We found it on our Metro Apocalypse Facebook group. So for this week's episode, we wanted to get you some answers about hot cars. Here's some basic data courtesy of Metro. For a typical rush hour, Metro needs 954 operating rail cars. For surge number five, because there are fewer trains necessary on the silver and orange lines, Metro needs a little bit more than 900 rail cars but they're not even reaching that reduced number. We spoke to Andy Off, the assistant general manager of metro for rail about why so many cars are out of service. Before the
1: really warm weather kicked in, we were making our peak requirements. Over about the past three weeks, we have, uh, you know, suffered the effects of, um, you know, some of the HVAC
0: systems going down on us. Air conditioning. Yes, sir. So that's what I've been trying to get at. Um, on Twitter, people complain about hot cars all the time. That's not a scientific count. How many rail cars are out of service because of air conditioning problems and why? So every day we do a daily report on HVAC reports. And it says, hey, it's
1: 90 degrees on the 21st of July and we had 17 rail cars, um, you know, taken out of service. That's an example. For hot cars, so that's an example. Uh, so that's an example. Um, two days ago was a really good day because it was a lot cooler. I think we had about seven or eight. Uh, yesterday was a little rougher, uh, we were about 19, and of course uh, moving forward, um, you know, it's going to be a challenge.
0: So on that one day, 19 cars out of about 900 out of service because of HVAC air conditioning issues. And keep in mind, Metro is another 10 to 20 rail cars awaiting spare parts that are also out of service on any given day. So it may not sound like much, but it's enough to take two, three, maybe four entire trains out of service. Ethan wasn't just asking about hot cars in general, also about the new rail cars, the 7000 series that aren't working properly, air conditioning included. Here he is.
3: So the the first time I really noticed it was just as it was getting hot this year. And for whatever reason, I had not gotten uh, to ride one of the new 7000 series cars, and I'd been wanting to, right? But every morning I always seem to get an old car. And I see the, the shiny new car, and I'm like, oh, cool. And I step on, and I'm like, this feels weird. And then we're pulling out of the station, and I realize the air conditioning is not keeping up on this car. And it just got worse and worse. And then over the next few weeks, I got a number of these brand-new cars where the AC just wasn't working. It's it's really gross. I mean, it it is a real puzzle to me why there would be this kind of problem with a brand-new car. The 7,000 ones are brand-new, and it's not like we... Whoever ordered these didn't know that they're going to be in Washington DC. Um you know, we're built on a swamp. The AC needs to work, but I I guess I'm I'm really curious what's going on there.
0: So when it comes down to hot cars, we're really talking about three separate problems. Number one, some of the cars are just very old. Number two, Metro has a rail car maintenance problem system-wide, whether it's air conditioning, brakes, doors, propulsion systems. The consulting firm McKinsey & Company did a deep dive on Metro's rail car maintenance regime and found that quite often rail cars are fixed. Then there's a recurring problem within seven days. And again, it's A.C., doors, brakes, etc. And problem number three with the 7000 series cars, it's a software problem and a track anomaly. Again, here's Andy off.
1: A lot of these things we, quite frankly, we have learned while the cars have been in operation. Uh, for a lot of our 7000s, so this is their first heat season. Um, there are anomalies with the voltage system, when we span large gaps of third rail break in the system, uh, and when that happens, it causes the HVAC system to lock out, um, and that's the software fix that we're intended to deploy.
0: How about the older rail cars? Is that a rail car maintenance issue? The cars are not simply being fixed correctly, and that's why we have recurring problems with the air conditioning, or is it simply that the rail cars are old?
1: Um, A lot of it is, um, you know, the rail cars are certainly old, which is part of the equation. Uh, The other part is it's a system that's under constant and never-ending stress this time of year. Um, You know, in our outdoor stations, when we dwell for a minute or two, you have the doors open, you're still blowing hot air, you know, cold air out of the system, um, and you know, feeding the outdoors. So it's just an effect, uh, you know, from my perspective of, you
0: know, age and stress of the system. One more question about air conditioning. Um, the McKinsey report did mention that there are a number of ways that Metro can improve the maintenance of rail cars. Um, how close are you to implementing some of those? Uh,
1: we, we are, you know, beyond close. We are implementing uh, many of those strategies. In fact, uh, we're implementing a pilot down at Alexandria Yard, uh, where we're using a look ahead planning board, aligning our labor skill sets with the types of car defects we have in the system, looking ahead on shop moves and moving cars in the yard to facilitate that.
0: Making sure the mechanics with the right skills are working on the right product. Correct. Thanks to Ethan for sharing his story on our Metro Apocalypse Facebook group. You want to share a story, ask a question or just commiserate with other commuters while you wipe the sweat off your brows? Check it out. A link is at wamu.org/metro. When we continue, we take a trip out onto the rails to see what a safety surge looks and sounds like firsthand.
4: diane the next meeting of my book club is on wednesday may 31st at 1 p.m eastern i'll host a discussion of mad honey by jody pico and jennifer finney boylan followed by a conversation with the authors find out more and register at diane slash book club
0: as we continue on Metro Apocalypse it's time to put our hard hats on and safety boots and walk into the tunnel between East Falls Church and Boston and then out under the blistering July Sun as we check out the tracks on the i66 median. Metro allowed a bunch of reporters, myself included, to check out Safe Track Surge Number no. 5 up close and personal. We were able to speak to Metro officials and watch the workers as they replaced old rail ties and fasteners. We started out at Boston Station, where we began by walking into a very dark, damp tunnel, moving out toward East Falls Church. Okay, there's a very narrow walkway here. Uh, On my left, there is kind of a a rope fence that I can glide my hand along to make sure I don't walk off the catwalk. To my right is a wall that is uh, covered with cables and power boxes and handles and all types of things that are very hard to see. It's, It's dark in here and you really have to walk gingerly, carefully focusing on what's in front of you, what's at your feet. I actually just tripped a little bit. Now, the train you're gonna hear come through. That train is on the other track. And uh, I'm about to step off the catwalk, down onto the track bed. Hello, gentlemen. What are you working on? Picking up a DTS, cable. Alright, I don't know what a DTS cable is, but I'll take your word for it. Alright, so I've walked maybe a quarter of a mile down the tunnel, and I've passed several work crews, varying kinds of equipment. Each crew might be working on a different aspect of the system, and you know, it's not like looking inside a spaceship. Uh, We're talking about rails, fasteners, bolts, the foundation of the track. This is not high-tech stuff, but it's necessary because Boston opened in 1979, so do the math. A lot of this stuff is old. I call it stuff because I don't really know what everything is I'm looking at. There's a Gatorade bottle on the ground. And I haven't seen any beer bottles. Oh, wait. Oh, 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 little Wizard of Oz. All yeah, right, oh, I see sunlight. I see sunlight. It's blistering out here, it's blistering, and we've emerged from the tunnel. On our way to East Falls Church, and in the middle of the railway, there are a handful of workers who under their hard hats, must be sweating, and hopefully, they have their share of water to drink. Whew. Another challenge, walking along the ballast. So, the initial track bed, I walked down to get to this juncture on my way to East Falls Church was concrete, and that was easier. Ballast are rocks. It's a rock bed, if you will. Small stones that are flattened out, and wooden railroad ties are placed down in them. And the railroad ties I'm walking over now look like they're 40 years old. They're splintering, they're chipping. Some of them are new-ish, but some look like they have not been ever replaced. And I don't know, I'm walking a little bit faster than the traffic on 66. Everyone likes to criticize Metro, but I'll take it over driving. So my, my body is hugging this chain link fence along 66 as a large machinery is placing a brand new railroad tie underneath the rails in the stone in the stone bedding and you can hear it clanging away, it's hot, it's noisy, it's exhaust is blowing right on me. It's just a few feet away. What's the name of this machine? This is what we call a tie remover and inserter. So you see the bumper number T R I? Alright, tie remover and inserter. That's pretty simple. You're taking yeah. one out and putting one in. Absolutely. So people refer to it as a trick machine. Because I'm pretty clueless when it comes to this, I just assume the workers rip these out with their hands and stuff, but they got this massive machine that's got to pull this wood from underneath the rails. So there it is. Uh, oh, it's pulling the new one in, it's putting the new one yeah. in. You can tell it's new, it's got a different color. Yeah. Boy. Wow.
1: Yeah, you see, so the marked the mark line on the end of the tire, that's to tell them, where it needs to be set underneath the rail.
5: Oh, it's nice to have everyone out here I think to see and appreciate the work going on um, how hard it is, how hot it is and the effort it takes to do this work.
0: Laura Mason, SafeTrack Project Manager. Uh, well, first welcome to the Metro Apocalypse podcast. Uh and you're in charge of making sure this work is being done correctly. Obviously, you can't make that judgment right here at this moment. We're in the midst of it all. But what are your first impressions?
5: I think the work is going very well. Uh, we're on surge five. So it's fifth time out. We're learning. We're getting much better each time. Um, our work planning has improved, and that improves our execution as well. So Can you give I, me an I, example? Uh, for example, we've changed our approach to cross ties. Uh, we are now making multiple passes through the area. So we take fewer out on each pass, which helps us control the rail better because at this temperature, the rail expands, and if you take out too many cross ties, you can lose the rail and have it kick out. And so we reduce our risk for that. Well, Look at this railroad here. tie right there. The whole thing yeah, is... So, that, so you can see when you walk, the ones with the orange dots are the ones slated for replacement.
0: This one looks new. Has that one been yeah. replaced already? Correct.
5: We've already done, uh, we've done two passes already. So as I was saying before, we have to do every eight tie, and so we'll make four passes through here, so we're more than halfway through the planned cross tie work.
0: Um, so these crews are out here in the broiling sun yes. for how many hours bef- uh, shift? What are, the, what are the shifts?
4: 12 hour. And right now, during Safe Track, they're working 12-hour shifts.
0: Oh, wow. That's, yes, that's They're exhausting. working 12-hour
4: shifts from 6 to 6. 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. and then 6 p.m. to 6 a.m.
0: So, and they're wearing all this heavy, heavy stuff, right? All I mean,
4: this protective, yeah, the personal protective equipment is... of course, necessary to be out here. But what's good is that there are what we have, or as we say, cooling stations, where they can go and get cold water, cold Gatorade. And if at any time an employee or one of the crew members feel as though it's a little bit too much for them to handle, they have the freedom to stop and let their you know, supervisor know.
0: So, you know, I was talking before about how this is not high tech stuff. We're talking about wood and steel, but right. it's labor intensive.
4: Yes, very, very. Um, and it's one of the things I think a, a, a lot of people don't appreciate because they haven't been out here to have to experience it. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Once you come out here, see, you'll have a different respect for it once you walk back. Yes. Because yes. you're walking out here, just think of the people that are out here, day in and day out. Because this is, you know, seven days a week.
0: You can see pictures and videos of all that safe track work on our Metro Apocalypse Facebook group. When we continue, I talk to Metro General Manager Paul Wiedefeld about why some maintenance surge repairs already need repairs. Next. Safe Track Surge 2 took place on the eastern side of D.C. at Stadium Armory Station. It involved the shutdown of the Blue, Orange, and Silver lines. Metro contractors spent a couple of weeks replacing four out of eight switches in what's called the DNG interlocking. We're going to put that in English for you. It's a big intersection where those three lines split east of Washington. So think of a intersection with automobiles. If one of the traffic lights isn't working the whole intersection will fail. So there are eight switches out in this interlocking, or intersection. Four of them were replaced. But in the couple of weeks since the end of that track work, there have been at least nine signal and switch problems that have caused delays and more unscheduled track work. So that begs the question, is SafeTrack actually doing what it's supposed to? Where are the quality control efforts that Metro promised at the very beginning of this endeavor? When I was on the tracks, I met up with Metro's general manager, Paul Wiedefeld, and asked him about quality control.
2: Um, on, the, on the stadium armory issue, basically we put in new switches there. They're new switches, and you're going to have issues with that. Um, you, know, in, in, you know, if we had uh, all the time in the world, we'd have taken a week and tested everything and dry, tried everything, you know, then it's a balance. Do we do that? do we start running the service, it's safe, we run it, and then we have issues, we deal with them. So that's, it's no different than some of the cars. It's the same thing with the 7000. You know, you could test them forever, or you put them out there in real life, and then you come upon the issues and you fix them. Um, So it's the same, it's the same concept. Overall, this is going extremely well. Uh, Most importantly, we haven't had anyone seriously hurt. Um, But basically, as you've seen, there's a lot of things that have been, you know, decades in the making that are being fixed,
0: and that's what's important, because that's, this is, these are pure safety issues. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the, the name SafeTrack. Some have said, well, rail ties, rail, the foundation, etc. Is that really safety, or is that more maintenance and reliability, or do those categories overlap? It's if you maintain it, it's not a safety issue. <laughs> if you don't
2: maintain it, it becomes a safety issue. Again, that you know, there's a certain distance between these rails that it has to maintain all the time. And if you have crumbling fasteners and or, or rail ties, that starts to go. And that's when it becomes a safety, because that's when the trains go off the rails. Even if everything else was going and well. And imagine up- that on curves. We're on, you know, we're on a, a, a tangent here. <laughs> Think of that on a curve
0: at 50, 60 miles an hour. Maybe I'll wait for the train to pass. So even if everything else were going right with Metro, this work would be necessary because a railroad lasts about 40, 45 years, right?
2: Yeah, no, we're, we're at that stage. You know, this has been, pushed off as long as they can be pushed off. And um, so that's why we have to take it and an, at this level. And so that's why we're having an unfortunate impact on customers. But you've seen, you've seen the conditions. You know, what are our options? You know, we don't have the options.
0: All right, that's it for Episode 9. Thanks to the folks at Metro for bringing me along the rails this week. Please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. It'll help other Metro riders find us. Metro Apocalypse is produced and edited by Brendan Sweeney, John Olgolnick, Jacob Fenston, Joe Warminski, and Zay Shorbeji. Andy McDaniel is WAMU's director of content. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. All the other music from today's episode came from the local band Sunwolf, whose music you can hear on WAMU through the Capitol soundtrack. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro. Thanks for listening.